at something a little bit different tonight. Uh, I looked at it for quite some time, and that's uh, a little bit of a background and introduction to the book of Revelation. So the place you start is Revelation in chapter 1. All right, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, uh, to show unto his servant servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that heareth the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, and grace be unto you and peace which is from him, which is and which was and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now there's a lot of words there and a lot of uh, various things that are explained. But what we're looking at is understanding what this is really laying out before us. This is only the beginning. And, of course, the, the title itself is The Revelation of St. John, if you have a Bible. Well, the reality is it's not John's revelation at all. It is definitely the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the book of Revelations, as a lot of people call it. It's the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ's revelation. And John commences uh, to describe that how he received a collection of prophecies uh, from the angel of God, and that's what we are seeing here, that the Lord revealed them through the angel unto John, and John has written them down, and we now have them in this book, which is called the book of Revelation. Now, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for knowledge of future events, or certain events, which are in turn given to John, he writes them down, at this particular time, uh, John was on an island called Patmos, which is in the Mediterranean Sea area, and it, the timing was around about AD 96-97. So, in actual fact, uh, if you read the story of the disciples, uh, John, the one whom the Lord loves, he was the one that outlived all the others. All the others left a terrible, led a terrible, uh, um, well, lot led, but ended up being crucified upside down and beheaded and things like this. John was exiled onto this arm of Patmos. Now the word revelation actually means an unveiling or an unfolding or to make known. And that's what God wanted us to do, to get to know and to understand things that are going to take place in this, what we call the New Testament era. And so why is this book looked upon most as difficult to understand? I suppose that's a good question. But if we look in the book of Proverbs in chapter 25 and verse 2, it actually states it's the glory of God to conceal the thing, but it is the honour of kings to search it out. So God does seal many things in his word and it's up to us because we belong to the Lord because we have been born again in fact if you just quickly look in verse 6 
and t- tells us what that God has made us uh, that are in the body of Christ. And it says, and has made us kings and priests unto our God and his Father, and to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. And so it's the honour of kings to search it out. We're kings unto our God. And we have a right to search out the things of God's word. So he's made us in this way. The problem is, as it says in verse 1, is that it says back there, to show us things, his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. And he signified it by an angel. Now to signify means to give sign or signs. And so here in Revelation chapter 1, it's talking about by expressing God's word by signs. That is, Jesus Christ gave prophecies by signs and by symbols to be searched out. In fact, if you open up the book of of Daniel, the book of Daniel is very akin to the book of Revelation. And when you read that book, you'll find that all through it, God uses symbols that you have to understand before that you can start putting the story together. Uh, The four beasts, all different one from the other, the signified four empires that will rule the world. They hadn't come into existence, but they were going to rule the world, and history tells us that they did. But the symbols were there. You know, the lion with eagle's wings of Babylon, and then they're talking about uh, Medo-Persia, of the bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, uh, talking about the power of one of the kings become greater than the other of the Medes and the Persians, which of course was the Persians. And so, you see, all the way through, God uses symbols, but we must understand what these signs or symbols are all about. He gave us prophecies, and we need to search them out. Now today, many in Christendom still think there are, there are still to happen 2,000 years later before the book of Revelation could be fulfilled. They're still waiting for the fulfillment of the signs. And so there are fundamentally two ways in which the book of Revelation is interpreted. And the people that are still looking to try and understand it are looking at what is called the futurist interpretation of the book of Revelation. And so what they're saying is that all the things are in the future. They haven't happened yet, even 2,000 years from the time that John was given the revelation and was told that shortly things will come to pass. And so it was really a view that was put forward back in the 1500s, around 1585 AD, by a Jesuit priest called Ribera. And Ribera, in an endeavour to keep away or draw attention away from the criticism of the Catholic Church and the papacy, and uh, the the time of the, the massacre of the Huguenots, uh, the Spanish Inquisition, uh, things were not very popular as far as the Catholic Church was concerned, or the Pope. And so 
he put forward this theory called the Futurist Interpretation of the Book of Revelation. And so it took away some criticism from the Catholic Church. However, uprose other people at that particular time in the 1500s and they were, of course, were referred to as the great reformers. People like Latimer and Ridley and Huss, Martin Luther. These men formed what was called later the Protestant churches. And the Protestant churches came into existence to protest fundamentally against the Roman Catholic system. That's why they were called Protestants. They were protesting some of the claims that were being made by the papacy and by the Roman Catholic Church. But of course, if you read Revelation chapter 17 and you have some understanding of some of the symbols, uh, look, here's wisdom, he says, he that has wisdom count the number of the beast, and it talks about it being the number of a man in chapter 13, 666, but in chapter 17 it says, uh, this system sits upon seven hills. And of course we can start to identify that this is where Rome is built, upon seven hills. And it talks about uh, uh, the Queen of Heaven and things like that, that truly does identify the Roman Catholic Church as it is and has been. And so the real problem today is that the futurists, and that includes a lot of Protestant churches now, unfortunately, and even charismatic Pentecostal churches, they talk about that the beast is in the future. The great tribulation, which means the great problems in the world, are in the future. They talk about uh, the Antichrist is in the future, after the second coming of Christ. And that's, of course, totally confusing. They don't want to and refuse to identify Rome today for what it really is. And, of course, out of this futuristic interpretation of the book of Revelation and the work done by Ribera, we have this uh, situation where the world now uh, writes and talks about the secret rapture. And the secret rapture came from Ribera and then later on another uh, Jesuit priest called uh, Lacunza. And they were trying to again put forward a different theory of what things were all about. In fact, you could probably go into a bookshop, a Bible bookshop or a Christian bookshop today and find more books about the rapture than you will find Bibles. They're more important to them because it's all this glory. And, uh, and so they think that they are identifying something that the Bible has already identified. If you go on the internet and uh, you search out the book of Revelation, Again, you'll find some amazing stories about the rapture and these things. And so, with all this technical ability, all it does is confuse the minds of people that are looking at these things, like on the YouTube and so on. Oh, you get so many versions about the, the mark of the beast and 666 and the Pope and all these sort of things. And there's so many of them that it's totally confusing. And so what it does, it confuses people to the point that they don't know what the truth really is. They don't understand what it's all about. We in our fellowship have always looked at 
And as long as I've been in the fellowship for 60 years, the same message. We look at the historical view that was held by the martyr churches and the reformers. In actual fact, uh, uh, the great reformers called the Catholic Church the Antichrist system. And they very clearly identified what it was all about. But it's lost now because people are wanting to listen to make-believe stories that have been introduced by men. But the prophecies, it makes it very clear in verse 1, must shortly come to pass. So you don't wait 2,000 years to get the prophecies starting. And he also said he would signify it with signs and with symbols. So we go to verse 12 and we want to look at a few other little aspects here. In verse 12, and this is uh, to understand some of this symbolism that the Bible does use. And John writes, he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake to me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed in a garment down to the foot, a girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his hair, head and his hair were white, like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as it, they burn in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand, this is what he's seeing in his, his vision here, John. The right hand of this one that was there was seven stars, and out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks that thou sawest are the seven churches. And so, again, it tells us about something where the symbolism is uh, has a meaning. The seven stars are the seven churches, and the candlesticks is talking there about the angels, uh, well, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches. And as we know, if we go on to the next couple of chapters, which we won't tonight, that there are, were seven churches after the time of Christ that are referred to uh, in chapter two and chapter three. And they all had different virtues and different problems. And the Lord is again using this type of symbolism to point out their errors and the good aspects of them. And so 
There were seven candlesticks, and one was like the Son of Man. And he, the Son of Man, which of course is a title of Jesus Christ, had the seven stars in his hand, which are the seven churches. They literally did exist in Asia Minor after the time that the gospel was preached. There were seven spirit-filled churches. But this one, of course, is Jesus Christ. He's in the type of the high priest. He's tending the candlesticks. He's supplying the candlesticks with oil, which, of course, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it's the holy place of the temple that he's referring to. And yet, in reality, 26 years before that John was given this revelation in A.D. 70, Titus destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and the candlesticks were candle, uh, carried back to Rome. So they didn't literally exist. And that's why we're talking about this symbolism is explained. It's explained in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that thou sawest in my right hand in the hand of Jesus are the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the churches and the candlesticks are the seven churches. So very clearly, the Lord is explaining to John and revealing what these things mean. Jesus in verse 18 uh, described as he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And tells us that he has the keys of hell and death. Not the Pope, as he claims to have the keys to heaven. And here it tells us here that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. Everything is so definite in the book of Revelation, in the symbolisms which are used. We go back and we read from verse 3 again, and point out a few more little features here. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. The time to reveal was from the moment that John received the prophecy on Patmos. God was going to start unveiling things. And so John writes to the seven churches which are in Asia, which is Asia Minor. He says, grace be to you and peace from him which was, uh, which is and which was and which is to come. And of course that applies to Jesus Christ. He was a man on the earth when he was a young, uh, from the time of the child that was born of Mary. And then of course he is risen from the dead, which is, and he's still coming again. It all fits perfectly into place. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And of course sometimes people get a little bit confused by this. What does it mean? The seven spirits that are before his throne. If we've gone back to the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, in this message to the seven churches, he talks about the seven spirits of God. And they are the spirit of rest, and of wisdom, and understanding, and counsel, and might, and knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. That's what's so important. 
God signifies everything to us through his word. It's our honour to search these matters out and to read them very clearly. The time was necessary to be fulfilled from that moment on. And so it's talking about our salvation and what God has made us to be. In verse 6, what has he made us? He's not, he's made us, as we've already said, kings and priests unto our God. And his Father, and to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so there's the vision of the fact, too, that Jesus is coming back again. In verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. The Bible tells us uh, that when Jesus went up into the clouds in Acts chapter 1, and the disciples were watching him go up, angels stood nearby and said, as he's going up in like manner, he's going to come back down to this earth. So again, it's just confirming things that have already been written in the word of God. It confirms a vision of the second coming of Christ. In verse 9, it tells us that John is a brother in Christ. I, John, am also your brother, as he's writing to us here, and a companion in tribulation. He'd been through his difficulties and his walk in the Lord on the earth, and uh, it tells us, and in the kingdom and the patience of persistence of Jesus Christ, and was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so, again, we're talking about little understanding by so many people about the symbolisms which must be understood before you can start to read and understand the word of God. Pastor Mark uh, Watchell has put a few things together and, and very well done. He uh, explained when he came over some time ago about the seven seals and how they related to different times in the latter part of the gospel age. And they all have a significance. But if you don't understand, it's like picking up a foreign newspaper. And that's why people say, oh, the book of Revelation, I just can't understand it. But it is like we would try to pick up a foreign newspaper and try and understand it. But unless you know the vocabulary of the language that explains it, you won't understand anything. And that's the problem with people. And that's why the futurists that don't understand the symbolisms of the book of Revelation uh, tell you the fulfilment of all these things that we're just explaining that are clear from the word of God are in the future. In the future. But the book of Revelation is to foreview Christendom, the gospel age. From the time it was given till the time that Christ returns, then the millennium, and then the new heaven and the new earth. It's all there in the book of Revelation, quite clearly, chapter 19, 20, 21, and then into 22. So the purpose of this book, the book of Revelation, is to provide a guide for the church through the gospel age. That's what it's there for, to provide a guide that we can read these things Check the scriptures. Understand why it is that the saints suffered in the past times. And we can be comforted by the fact that he's foreseen even their tribulation. 
as you can read in the end of chapter 6 when the Roman Empire fell. And they said, Lord, you're coming back now with so much mess in this world. Well, because what they had then is nothing compared to the mess in the world today. People are still suffering and still being comforted by the fact that Jesus Christ understands the tribulation because he said to us, in this world we will have tribulation, but but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so these are things that the book of Revelation wants to teach us, to inspire, to understand the giving of the visions, even to the final judgment when the Lord comes back and the millennium takes place. And then the great judgment day at the end of the thousand years. All these things are very clearly described in the book of Revelation. It's there to describe signs and times and seasons and the second coming and into the ages to come. Just a couple of things to finish on. First Thessalonians in chapter 4. The little verses we know very well. First Thessalonians in chapter 4. In verse 13, it's talking about the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. This doesn't mean one every night. It's talking about the long sleep of going to the grave and waiting for the time when Jesus comes. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them that are asleep in the grave. And that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We have eternal hope. They've got the materialism of this world and nothing else. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And that word bring means to bring forth from wherever they are, the dead in Christ and the alive. For this we say unto you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Even this tells us there's no secret rapture. It's not going to be a quiet, secret thing when the Lord comes back. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We understand all these aspects are not very far from us now. The way the world is going, we keep saying it, but it can't get worse, but it does. But the Lord has everything in hand. And even the suffering that people have been through is not going to be worthy to be compared with the glory 
that's going to be revealed in his people on the day that he comes back. And I'll just finish in Revelation chapter 22. The Great Invitation. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 12, the words of Jesus again. Behold, he says, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his, uh, as his work shall be. So he's bringing the reward of everlasting life for his people, for his saints. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. I'm the first and I'm the last. But there's a condition to enter in to the future, to the holy city of the previous chapter. It says, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life. It's in the midst of the garden of paradise. And may enter through the gates into the city, the new Jerusalem. For without are dogs, unbelievers, the wicked, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and even whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. They won't make it either. And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, his great King David's greatest son. And I am the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is the first come. And whosoever will let him eat. Or sorry, let him take of the water of life freely. And so the last invitation is still there until Jesus literally returns. And it talks of the Spirit of God and the Bride, which is the Church, that still have a responsibility, and that's our responsibility, to go out into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature and say, come to the Kingdom of God. There's a wonderful reward given to you to become the Bride of Jesus Christ to rule and reign with him forever. And so it's our responsibility as the bride of Christ to say to people, come and listen. If you're hungering and you're thirsting after righteousness, I'll fool you. And whosoever will will respond that's talking about here in the end of verse 17. Let him take of the waters of life the living water of God's Spirit freely and live forever and all people say.